Welcome to the new era by Web3 Connect. We're helping you break barriers and build brands in Web3, the next generation of internet. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the new era by Web3 Connect. Today, we are interviewing Spoonicus, who works part-time as a project advisor for NFT projects in Web3 on top of his full-time job. He is a voice of reason on Twitter with over 17,000 followers who appreciate his honest takes on the NFT market and really just look up to him as a reputable authority and investor in the NFT space. Through his project consulting services, he averages about $30,000 per week. And although he started this as a one-man show, he's currently building out an entire enterprise around his consulting services, onboarding new team members to support with operational tasks, and offering full-service packages to his clients far beyond the typical advice that a project advisor might offer. Spoonicus recently started a private Discord server with a very similar goal to Web3 Connect to bring together Web3 freelancers and NFT project owners who need help executing their visions. After realizing these synergies, we merged servers, so everyone over in Spoonverse migrated to Web3 Connect, and since then, Spoonicus has onboarded as our project's marketing advisor. But I think that's enough intro for now, so let's get into the interview. Alrighty. So thank you so much, Spoonicus, for joining us. We are very excited to have you. We know you have accomplished a lot in the Web3 space. And so we're excited to hear about your background and everything you've kind of been working on in terms of supporting projects in, in different roles. So with that said, I will go ahead and pass it over to you, Spoonicus, if you want to introduce yourself. My name is Spoonicus. I've been in the Solana NFT space since September of 2021. I think Galactic Geckos was one of my first mints around that time and was an active trader. Lost a lot of money, made a lot of money. <laughs> Mainly first lost a lot of money in this space. Some good learning experiences and just have, have kind of grown from that to creating my own Twitter account and started off tweeting my daily trades, like a trade log. Really wanted to provide something different than your typical influencer. I wanted to show when I was losing as well as when I was winning, You know, uh, things that were working so people could see as I was actively figuring the market out, kind of learning together and create a different paradigm where you know it wasn't shameful to flip and sell or paper hand. It was in your best interest sometimes to do so. And, and you had to think about profits and your own well-being first. And that was kind of a different aspect at that time when everybody, especially YouTubers and influencers back then, were really all about diamond handing. And you know, before the first bear market <laughs> took everybody's money, diamond handing and shaming people for paper handing. And so I just wanted to flip the narrative on its head. And so that's where I kind of came up with this term, the paper handed degen, and really just started to just be really transparent about my journey, almost like a journal on Twitter day to day of the things that I was going through, learning how to navigate the Solana ecosystem. So that's kind of how it all started with me. My in real life job is I've had 15 years of consulting experience and pre-sales experience in data and analytics. So I have a strong background in project management, consulting, a big long family history of two parents in sales and marketing for their entire careers. So marketing and sales and consulting is kind of in, in my blood. And that's kind of where I ended up stumbling into this journey doing marketing marketing advising for NFT projects where I took two things, kind of one thing that I thought I was pretty good at and one thing that I think I was getting better at in the NFT space and, and combined those two together. So that's kind of how my journey came together. 
I love that. I love how you've had such a, like an organic growth, organic evolution in this space. I feel like, you know, when people first hear about the NFT space, most people start out like flipping, right? Cause that's just the, the main thing that you kind of see people doing. And when you're not integrated into the community yet, like that's really the surface level of what you can be doing in the space. But then the beauty of it is that there's so many different directions that you can go. And I like how you found your niche there, right? You, the paper handed DGen daily journaling kind of looping people into your process in such a way that is, I would think, helping to break barriers as well for for even new joiners, but also more experienced people in the space. With that said, I know you do some marketing for various projects and have kind of coined the term director of hype. Can you talk a little bit more about what exactly you're doing for those projects? Sure. So initially, when I first started off, I started off small and I basically did some very high-level advisory work for clients. Maybe I started off as a middleman and I just helped them get a discount and connected them with Twitter promoters or just gave them, them some, some small bits of advice on how they maybe could switch directions or refocus their energy to be more productive or more valuable. Then that's when I started to build up kind of my full services where I, I would come on board in marketing and, and actually bring on you know, more than just advising, where I would actually get hands-on with whitelist collaborations, where I would help out with community engagements, even sometimes come in as a as a part-time community manager. So I basically started to erase this idea of a specific role and just say, where are your gaps? Let me help you fill them. If you need additional mods, I have mods. If you need a tokenomics guy, I've got a tokenomics guy. I've used this network that I've built up over time to supply people talented resources very quickly. So I often joke that like half my job is actually not even doing anything except networking with people. And I think it's you know true to some extent where it's very valuable to have somebody that can connect you with a trusted verified resource with references that can help execute your vision when you, hey, well, you're only two weeks away from Mint and you need a video editor. You don't have time to wait around or try to find somebody. So it's, it's very helpful to have that. So I've just been kind of using all the tools in my tool belt to provide a wide range of services, not just with marketing, but with community management, engagement, white paper development, and, and all sorts of stuff. So it's just, it's just kind of grown from there. It's funny that you bring up uh, the the point of networking and about like who you know, because we were just talking about that in our last podcast episode, you know, in real life, right, at traditional corporations, traditional firms, that's very much the case. It's very much who you know will sort of get you your next opportunity. And it's interesting to see that carry over really across all industries, including in the NFT space. I mean, it's just a, a theme that you see across the board. You did actually mention community management a little bit. And one of the things I was going to ask is, what you see as the difference between you know what you're doing for marketing and director of hype versus a traditional community manager role. And you hit on a little bit of the being a little bit more hands-on, right? The advising portion of it, the networking portion of it. Is there anything else that you think would be kind of a key differentiator from community manager versus what you tend to do for projects? No, I, th- I just think it, it's a buzzword I came up with to kind of encompass what I do with marketing and community engagement. You know, when you hire me, I become a part of your team. Number one, I get skin in the game. So I actually put my own money up front and pay for some of the things like Twitter promotions and, and get you a, a video made for a promo video and actually get some skin in the game, number one. Number two, that sort of helps me feel more integrated with the team like I'm an investor, right? Like I'm invested with you guys. And and I'm in the chat every day. I'm vibing with people. You know, one of the things that I did for Cyber 
supervillains was when we first kickstarted. As soon as we opened Discord, I just saw how how much energy there was in chat, and you know I wanted to maintain that. So we just started basically. Uh, I said, let's create roles: uh, a game master, a trivia master, a DJ, uh, a mental health guru. Let's get all these people that even though we haven't minted yet, and they're not holders. We're gonna treat them like they're holders now from day one, and we're gonna get them involved with the community. We're gonna say, hey, game masters, trivia masters, you can you can give away five whitelist a day. Here's your own chat room where you can coordinate with each other across time zones. And we want you to keep the chat hyped and that's your job. And we're going to get out of your way now. Okay. We're going to empower you. And then we get out of the way because everybody talks a big game about community and DAOs and all this stuff. But a lot of times it's a bunch of nonsense. And so, you know, what I wanted to do was it was really engage with the community and say, you know, listen, if you're excited about this, then then bring that energy. You guys do it. Why, why do we have to be the ones facilitating everything? If you're really good at facilitating trivia and you understand how to play Gartic and and run games, and you've done it in lots of other discords, then why would I try to do it myself? You do it. So those are just some of the things that that I've implemented for some of the projects. I'm curious to know, how do you think your 15 years of consulting experience has sort of transcended into what you're able to do and what you're currently doing here in the space? Oh, I think it's absolutely critical. You know, one of the things that you learn in consulting is how to ask the right questions, uh, get to the heart of a problem, do a lot of problem solving, things that really train your brain over the years on on how to acutely attack a problem, you know, do it progressively, logically, but quickly, and uh, sometimes unemotionally, you know, and it allows you to also deal with a lot of pressure. So, you know, where it really comes to handy because a lot of these project owners are not from a traditional business background. They have a lot of passion that's driving them and they're sort of thriving off of that passion. It's their fuel. But when things get a little hairy or they're not getting enough Discord members as they thought or whatever, you know, panic can set in or people can get emotional. And so it's really important to be able to come in as an advisor with a level head, kind of keep things cool always bring perspective, always, you know, tackle things like there's a solution, find the solution and, you know, gives sort of solution delivered results versus, you know, getting distracted by a lot of noise that can often happen in this space. Yeah, definitely. I love that. Also being in the consulting world, it's just, you see it a lot in these companies bringing in that third eye perspective, because when you're, you're within the discord or or any type of project like that, you, you don't always see what's not going right. And that could be pretty frustrating. So going back to the beginning, I, I first met you in Solobs Alpha Group as an admin. Was this your first role in the Web3 space or do you have uh, another role before that? Yeah, that's kind of how I got started. I would say doing more than just trading and, and helping other people. So SoulHub and myself and a few others who are now Twitter promoters, we go way back to when SoulHub only had 300 followers. And he approached me one day, you know, I think he saw me tweeting about stuff. And I think we, we started a DM with about five of us. And before AlphaDAOs even existed or the term AlphaDAO existed, we, we basically were an AlphaDAO. We, we, it was five of us in a DM giving each other research analysis. Alpha Soul Hub was directing most of the traffic and helping us make a lot of money back. You know, a, lot, a number of us had lost quite a bit of money in the bear market. And day by day, you know, Soul Hub calls really helped us make money. And when he started to build his Discord, I was more than happy to volunteer my time as an admin and and help grow that community. And that's, yeah, that's one of the first things that I did to get started in the space outside of sort of doing my own trading. Cool. And going from an admin to the current you know, positions that you have now as a marketing and, and director of hype and stuff, how was that transition? Yeah, it just kind of happened one day. Uh, I was always watching what these Twitter promoter guys were doing, but I knew I didn't want my Twitter account to be that way. And and, and the funny thing is they all agreed. They I had built a following 
pretty organically where people were following me because of my snarky comments or going after influencers for for kind of being <laughs> being full of it or <laughs> the anti-influencer at the time or my trade journals whatever it may be and so I wanted to maintain that integrity of my account I didn't want to start doing paid promotions and things like that but I wanted to break into the space and I was seeing a lot of things with projects where I felt I could be helpful I just didn't know how to do it and and then one day I just decided I was going to put myself out there as an advisor and take the leap. And it was scary because I didn't know if people were going to laugh at me or you know kind of go, well, what you know, what are you, what's your experience? Why would we hire you? But there were so many projects that needed help that were just desperate. To, to get help. I still get uh, five to 10 DMs a day from projects just desperate for some kind of marketing help. A lot of these projects, they're builders. They're great at building and innovating and coming up with these ideas, but then they just navigating the Solana NFT space, unless you're ingrained in it every day and in touch with it and network with the right people and understand how it ebbs and flows, it can be difficult to understand how to how to cut through the noise and, and make your project visible. So, so it just started off like, you know, basically say, throw me a few soul here and I'll connect you with the right people or I'll take a cut, you know, to get you connected with some the right people, like a small percentage, things like that. Uh, and then quite often these projects would then start asking me more questions and I would give them some advice and then some more questions. And then I was like, okay, now this is turning into something. So it was basically fed by just the sheer demand in the marketplace kind of really helped push me. I'm not going to say I didn't have like a magic wand or or some huge success story like a couple of my first mints I don't think even sold out that that I was helping the projects with. Then again I was brought in maybe late to the party where it was only like a week away from mint or something, but you know, hiring me is no guarantee that you'll sell out. I'm not some kind of, you know, all-powerful marketing guru. <laughs> um, the market's going to market at the end of the day, but uh, but I think I do provide value where maybe hey you know, let's say you sold out 70%, maybe if without me, you would have only sold 40%. So maybe, maybe I help give you that, that little bit of an edge, but yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. Really cool stuff, man. And a quick question. So I'm curious, well, how long you've been in the space overall, but more curious besides from the money, is there another reason that you've decided to stick around for as long as you have? Yeah. So I was relatively new to crypto last May. I bought like right, right before the top of Bitcoin and held on to my butt for three months during the summer <laughs> on, all, on all my bags. So I was pretty hardened and steeled very early on in the crypto space because I got I got smacked with that that massive dip right as I got in. And and so I didn't get into the NFTs until September of last year, you know, basically got all my advice at the time from influencers and YouTubers naively. I thought when I got in the space, it was so small. I thought these guys knew, knew what they were talking about. Most of them were talking out of their ass, to be honest, to find out later. And some of them even lost a lot of money that they admitted to me privately, but won't admit publicly. <laughs> so that's kind of what switched the gears for me and turned me into the Brahana Degen was uh, seeing that why are guys listening to this guy just because he has a, an SMB PFP or a monkey PFP? Like, what does this guy have? Does he have any business background? Does he have like, like what's his what's his story? And I just I saw a lot of bullshit in the space to be quite honest with you guys. And I thought that that I could provide some value. And honestly, I just helping people 
it motivates me. It, it feeds my soul. And I, do, I still do every week. I can't tell you how many DMs I end up taking from people that they don't think I'm going to answer their DMs because I have whatever 16,000 followers on Twitter. I answer almost all of my DMs. Unless you're sending me a DM that just says hi, and I don't know why you're reaching out. Like I'm not going to respond to that. But if you reach out and you tell me what's going on, I'll reply to you. And quite often, I'll end up spending an hour going back and forth with someone trying to help them you know, de-rug their project or they minted and it didn't go well. And now they're kind of trying to decide what should I do? And you know, I, I'm more than happy to, to offer advice for free and where I can and think I can be helpful. And, and I do so every week. I probably spend a good eight to 10 hours a week helping people for free. I, this isn't just about the money for me. No, uh, yeah, no. I'm super glad you touched on that because I mean, it's, it's very much a money game for a lot of people. But you can you can do a lot of tremendous good as well. I mean, if you come at it with the right heart, it's it's pretty insane what you're able to do. To your point, it's it's super interesting that just having a board ape, for example, or an SMB gives you an unreasonable amount of credibility in this space that you haven't earned. And I wonder, and I want to ask you, like to the average person listening, how do you build that credibility? Like say I wanted to become an advisor, but I have no advising experience. What do you say to someone who just kind of wants to build their brand, their own personal brand to do that without having kind of those PFP credibility things? Like what's, what's the entry? What's the foot in the door that you would say? I think it's just it's grinding. I think it's it's doing a couple things. It's it's probably number one if you're on Twitter, it's tweeting daily and not being afraid to give your opinion. You know, in this space, people are so afraid to step on toes because it's such a small neighborhood that they're afraid that if they say the wrong thing about somebody or a project, they're going to get raided by that project or that DAO, or there'll be you know I don't know you know people are in this world are so worried about their own self preservation and their image that it can impact and, and end up muting you. And if if you're worried about those things, then don't even bother number one <laughs> because you're not going to find your way through the space. So you you have to be a little fearless in your opinions and and be okay with people disagreeing with you. Like I I give my opinions on a regular basis. I have plenty of my followers that get in there and. And tell me why I'm wrong. And that's great. Like that's, we need that because it, sometimes I am wrong. Sometimes, sometimes I didn't think through my thoughts and I tweeted it and I was like, yeah, actually that is kind of a dumb tweet. <laughs> you know, you can't, you just got, you, you can't take yourself seriously. Number two, you know, we're a bunch of talking animal PFPs on, you know, to each other on Twitter and we're not creating the cure for cancer here. If you're not having fun, then just get out of this game. Because it's not for you. You got to be enjoying yourself. You're either overinvested or you're getting too sucked into the drama that happens day to day in this space. So number two, just don't don't be so serious. Number three, find a dour project that you really really dig the vibe of and be as helpful as you can in that chat and and become an active member of your community in that DAO. If you're a good artist give your skills there. If you're good at finances or tokenomics or whatever, find your place, whether it's just being good at being, being starting off as a backup mod and just learning the way your way through Discord and understanding how Discord operates and doing administrative tasks and working your way up through the food chain and getting that under your belt and then becoming a mod and then becoming a paid mod for another project. You know, it, it takes time. You know, it's not going to happen over overnight. And the other thing you could do is, you know, if, if you see projects that are doing things really well, I think we get enough of that tweeted about. We can't be afraid to criticize or point out things that could be done better by projects. I did a lot of that during the bear market last year where I was really analyzing and kind of fleshing out in real time, you know, the things that I thought were wrong in the space that I thought 
that I could provide some solutions to or, or just wanted to hear other people's opinions about how they thought they could solve those problems. You can't do it in a way where you're just complaining to complain. Nobody's going to listen to that noise. Nobody wants to hear it. But if you're coming at it from a perspective of you're trying to bring solutions to the space, then by all means, tweet about those things or do a Medium article. Do something. You know, there, There's so many different things you can do. I couldn't agree with you more. But you bring up a really interesting point that has a lot of a lot of conflict i would say which is that to to be constructive you need to have criticisms about how honest projects are are building right they're not doing everything right and there's obviously room for them to improve but the problem is at least from what i've noticed you can run into a lot of toxicity just because of the fact that you don't want to be criticizing someone that has a majority of their life savings in one project. And the reality of the situation is a ton of people are overexposed to their projects. So it it kind of it makes them very very hesitant to enjoy reading criticisms about things that they're so heavily invested in. There's just so much pullback because of just the general like liquidity. Well, it immediately it immediately gets called FUD number 1. So that's the defense mechanism in our space for that. And I love a good fudder. Bring them on. I, I always laugh, you know, if the FUD is not true, the majority of the time it's not going to have a long-term impact on your project. Okay. The space moves so quickly. Like if the FUD happens right before a mint, maybe it impacts mint a little bit or or something like that. But over the long you shouldn't even be worried like if you're worried in this space about the short term, you're in this for the wrong reasons. You should be thinking about how can I still be an existing project a year from now and not be dead like 95% of these other projects. That should be your end goal. How do I sustain? And so I think as project owners and, and even investors, if you reframe everything into that perspective, everything else just kind of falls away. Like it's not like stuff that used to be a big deal or like that some blows up on Twitter or something happened where this guy rugged or this sort of, it's all noise. It doesn't matter. Just focus on building and doing your thing and building your product and getting collective feedback on a regular basis from your community to ch touch base, get a status, do Twitter spaces regularly, twice a week if you have to, with other projects too, to learn from them. We just did a Twitter space with, God, I did I did so many Twitter spaces this week, guys. <laughs> but I did, I did one with Magnum AI and Apes on Space and Saigon from Savannah stopped by as well. So it turned into a foursome. And we just talked honestly about the space and about mistakes that we made, things that we wish we had done better as a project owner, but that we can't go back and change them. We can only improve and work with our community to get better and get their feedback and implement some of the utilities they would like to see and things like that. And it was a great, honest discussion. And, and I think more of those need to happen in this space. I and I think as we mature, I'm seeing it slowly. The, the kinds of spaces or things or topics we talk about today would never have flown back in September and October, because you would have been shot down by people that were like some manic followers of an influencer that, you know, disagreed with your take. And so they just completely invade your Twitter account or, you know, this cult following that was created during that time of all these PF people with monkey PFPs or this PFP. And I feel like it's the market saturated enough now that we've brought in enough new voices that we're able to have more mature conversations. And if we have more mature conversations, like we're adults, then the investors that are coming in to list of your Twitter spaces, it might help reframe their perspective a little bit. You might gain some long-term investors where people were that were just thinking about flipping initially your product may think about, oh, well, maybe I'll hang on another week or two and see what's going to happen. But I think you know we have to keep our feet on the ground. And I'll go back to what I said before and stop taking ourselves so damn seriously because it, that that's that's the stuff that where we get ourselves into, into trouble is where people start thinking they're creating the next 
innovation that's going to change the world and we should bow at their their feet because their project went and did a 20x and sometimes it's just luck and the right meta and sometimes they've done zero dollars in marketing you know i get approached all the time guys where they're like well i want to do what this project did and i'll go do you know they spent like maybe five soul on marketing you know if you try to mimic what they did you're not going to sell out <laughs> you know, you, you can't cookie cutter this. Every every project is different and the and the what what's happening three days ago is completely different than what it is right now and how the market is is treating certain projects or certain meta, it changes so fast that anybody that's coming to you as an advisor and trying to apply some cookie cutter approach that worked for them for the previous project is gonna lose you a lot of money, is what's gonna happen. And I kinda went off a lot of tangents there, so I apologize. No, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. The context is crucial for an advisor as well. Yeah, the DURM research gets kind of emphasized just on doing your own research as to what project you're going to invest in. But there's more to that. If as a project owner, you got to do your own research into how the market's performing at the moment. And then also, like you said, look at how other projects have may have not done well in this area and that. So personally, I'll, I'll definitely be taking a listen in, into that Twitter spaces that you mentioned earlier for that. So I'll be shooting you a message to make sure I'm listening to the right one. Yeah, absolutely. It's the recording is I tweeted out the recording, I think last night or even this morning. But, you know, it's the do your own research aspect for me. You know, I tell people this, and it sounds so corny, but uh, it's true. I I don't invest in projects; I invest in teams. To me, I can I can maybe it's just from years of consulting. I can I can sort of tell when people are being straightforward and and have a clear vision of what they want to achieve. And so I kind of get the feeling like you know, okay, this guy's going to be around a year from now. You know, or hell or high water, unless something just tragically happens and the project gets completely tanked and you can't dig it out of a hole. But it's not going to be because of this guy that it fails, right? He's not going anywhere. So I, I tend to invest in people. And that's actually how I accept projects too, is I turn down a lot of projects. And it's partly because I'm just, I'm, I'm overbooked to be quite frank right now. But, but, but also if I'm not, if I wouldn't personally invest in your project, uh, I'm not going to advise you. Because my first thing to advise you would be either don't do this or you're not ready. So, so if those are if those are my two advisements, then how could I turn around and try to shill you to people to buy into or invest into if I if I don't think you're going to be successful? Number one. So you've got to be realistic with that because for me it's not about it's not just about the money. I need to be able to be an investor in your project because I want to feel like I'm part of the team. Number two, I literally invest in these projects. So I own 65 Solana Puppy Pound. I bought all of those. I minted half of them. I bought the rest. The projects I take on, I believe in. And that also lights a fire under me to make sure I'm doing everything I can to make it successful because I got some skin in the game. And I think that's really important because I think that's what's lacking in this space is, you know, there's a lack of empathy and there's a lack of people that, that are that are motivated by incentives other than, you know, making themselves wealthy. Yeah, that's a great point. And I know you said you're working full time right now, but I saw you mentioned that you're going to be taking a three weeks vacation kind of soon and spending all that time to invest in your projects. So that's something you're considering maybe doing full time if it works out. Oh, God, I would love to. But, you know, this this market's so unpredictable. I don't know what the future is going to bring with this. You know, I could be getting 10 DMs a day right now of projects that would like help and finding some good projects to to, to advise. And then the switch could flip one day and uh, maybe it's two months go by and I don't hear anything from anybody. You just don't know. So I, I'm feeling this out for a few months to see how it goes. And I've taken a few weeks off to focus on some projects that are going to be minting 
over the next few weeks so that I can make sure I've got their, their full attention. And I've also realized that I'm stretched too thin. So I've assembled a team of people that I've interacted with over the last month in various different aspects of marketing management, uh, social media management, project management to bring on. And I'm more than willing to cut them a huge percentage of what I'm making to, to keep ensuring that these projects are successful and I'm not getting burnt out. I'm just getting asked for help from more projects than I can help. And the problem, my problem is I hate saying no. And so, so that's going to get me into trouble if I don't get a team around me and really start to build this out. So that's my next venture right now is to figure out how to get this team going. We've already got a new client that I'm going to roll this team out to. It hasn't changed my price points at all. I'm charging the same prices. I'm just cutting a percentage of my profits and, and giving it to, to these other folks on the team partnership. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to what this next thing is going to bring. It's almost like you're you're sort of building a consulting agency and it's around your brand, which is is really awesome to see. I, I I know we have somebody coming on the podcast in a couple of days who's who's doing something similar, advising consulting. But you're definitely kind of blowing that out to a scale where you're even you know sourcing and staffing other other resources for your team, which is cool to see because you know in traditional companies consulting is huge. I mean, every company need. We were talking about this earlier, but every company needs a team of experts or a team of people who have experience in things that they don't to be able to point out those things that when you're in the thick of it, you're not able to necessarily identify for yourselves. It's almost, it's become a necessity to be honest, because what's happening is I join these projects as a marketing advisor. And the next question I get is, Hey, we haven't quite figured out our tokenomics. Do you know a guy? And then it's like, Oh man, I've got sort of the roadmap created, but I don't know how to make a white paper. Do you have a guy? We need staking. We, we didn't initially plan on doing staking. Now we're doing staking. Do you have a dev? And this stuff is happening like two, three weeks out from Mint. You know, this is normal occurrence in this space. You know, things shift. People are, are changing the roadmaps or adjusting to the market. And so that's kind of how that, what we talked before, uh, before the podcast about how I created this private discord called Spooniverse was purely because I had built up such a contact sheet of trusted resources that I had worked directly with on projects or that I knew new people they've worked with directly. So, you know, friend of a friend that were trusted resources. And I wanted to be able to connect them quickly with projects because the problem was I was getting hit up in DMs all the time with people just asking me if I knew this or that or could get them this person. And I was turning into a recruiting service. And I was like, I don't have time for this. So I just created the Discord. And then I can just invite people, plop them in there. They assign themselves a role associated to what their expertise is in for hire. The clients assign themselves a client role. They post in a board. People assign themselves a meeting room to go to a meeting room channel and talk to one another. And like, you know, in a matter of a week, it turned into not just me supplying my own clients with with resources, but also supplying clients that are sorry, projects that were not my clients. I'm not getting paid. I'm not getting a cut or a percentage or anything. I'm just saying, go here, find who you need. And you can ensure that they're probably trusted resources. And within 10 or 20 minutes, some of these people are finding a pixel artist to do their whole collection in 10 minutes. You know, it's very powerful. Yeah, there's definitely some synergies there and what we're we're hoping to build out with Web3 Connect as well. Earlier, you were kind of touching on the concept of payment, right, and compensation for the time and effort that people are putting into supporting projects or whatever their role might be. And, you know, it's clear that in the Web3 space, there's just this complete lack of transparency around like industry standards for payment, for compensation. And frankly, there is no industry standard yet. Oh, I think we're defining that right now. And one of the things we're looking to do to give people a bit more insight into that is build out, you know, a repository of 
average income in the Web3 space for different roles. So kind of like Glassdoor in a sense. And I did want to ask, you know, would you be comfortable with sharing what your average monthly income is for like your marketing advising type of work? And if you're not wanting to share that publicly in the podcast, that's totally fine. We're also building out a anonymous repository to keep that information in. So definitely feel free to swerve this question if you'd like. No, I'm fine. Actually, let me just look at the numbers as I can't tell you off the top of my head. So while I'm doing this, I'll tell you, like I, I, I pay, I have most of my mods paid one soul. I have my community managers paid four to six soul. This is weekly, four to six soul weekly. And they, they can get paid after mint. That's fine. If it's pre-mint, if a pre-mint project. And I even have alpha hunters that get paid one to two soul a week. Uh, it's become so critical for people to have good alpha and whitelist coming in their alpha DAO to keep people engaged in the discord that it's become worth paying for those resources as well. So I would say in my early start, in my first month, I made about $30,000 in three weeks. I'm probably set to average $30,000 a week in consulting. It's it's gotten just, I, I have eight clients right now, and that's why I need a team. There's just not enough of me to go around and, and be able to successfully provide these clients value. And I don't know it all. You know, there are people that are just better at certain things than I am. So yeah. And I guess, and I think you might have touched on this earlier, how you got to this point, right, of making that much income in this space. Was that really just from starting your Twitter account and starting to share your opinions online and people actually realized that they valued what you had to say and that you had a perspective on things? Yeah. I mean, I was just felt like I was this angry guy yelling at clouds on Twitter all the time, calling out influencers for bullshit and and, and kind of, you know, calling out toxic culture and, and sort of declaring we need to change the game and change the narrative and stop shaming people for paper handing and yada, yada, yada. And it just sort of escalated from there and grew very quickly. I wasn't even, I didn't even start advising till I think I was at like 10K followers. So, you know, the account grew on its own without any kind of Twitter promos. I never, the only giveaways I did was kind of ironic. I, I kind of did joke giveaways because everybody was always doing giveaways on their account of like soul and all this stuff. So I would just give away like these degen pixel art projects all the time <laughs> and, and just like find the most degen pixel art and just give it away and out of my own pocket, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, I was just having a blast, you know, with my Twitter account and just having a good time with it in the space. And then it, and then it turned into, into something much more. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I also see you have a, a pretty good collection of gold NFTs. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah I'm obsessed. It's, it's bad. Yeah, the most recent pickup, the, the Cat yes, on Crack. Yes. That was a good pickup. So kind of switching topics a little bit, what are your thoughts on the current NFT market and what the current trends could mean for the Solana ecosystem long term? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, right now we're definitely in a bear market. So, you know, or at least that's what I'm calling it. That's my opinion. And and so it's it's interesting because what's happened is, you know, before where people were, were handing out whitelist as sort of a necessity, right? Like if we think about it, right, whitelist was created back in October of last year. We start, first started to see people do whitelist was because of the botting was so crazy during that time, during the bull, bull run of September. October. And it became a necessity because there was no way to combat it. You know, things like Monkey Labs delayed pause times between mints and all these other things that people have been trying to create anti botting launch pads, all this stuff didn't exist yet, right? So then we come to now, or a few, three or four weeks ago, even, 
where whitelist was really something that sort of changed from an anti-botting measure, maybe still for small supply projects. And you saw a lot of people going 100% whitelist, like Chill Chat and other other projects going 100% whitelist that were like a thousand supply. And the excuse was, you know, anti-botting. And sure, it made sense. They had the demand there and they could sell out basically their entire whitelist. You know, like I talked to them, 89% of their whitelist holders minted, which is absurd. Like the average is maybe 50%. Right. So, you know, some of these projects during the, this last sort of mini bull run were just popping off. And so whitelist changed to, to just sort of using it as a way to, to market. And also we then had the whitelist token marketplace from Famous Fox Federation come out, which in, introduced some new meta where people would watch the token price and some people would actually decide whether they were going to mint or not, depending on how high the whitelist token price was. And if they didn't feel it was high enough, then they thought maybe the project wasn't hyped enough and they wouldn't mint. So the price of the whitelist tokens actually impacted for a week or so, I think, some projects. I don't think that lasted long, though. I think that was very short-lived. Now we see a point where people are giving whitelist away like candy. These DAOs, like Monkey DAO, like Boreco uh, Dragons, you know, these guys get 20 whitelist collab offers probably a day. Let's say they accept half of those and get 10 a day. So their members are getting 10 whitelist offers a day. So, so that means by the time a mint comes up, they're sitting in 40, 50 discords with all with whitelist roles. And they let's say they have five projects to pick from that particular day to mint, and they have whitelist to all of them. What's the guarantee they're going to pick all five? Not likely, right? So then what's the likelihood that they're going to pick your your project just because you think you have a blue chip whitelisted in your discord that's going to get you something it's actually quite the opposite so what's happening now is as i tell clients you know blue chips are probably some of the worst whitelist people to give lots of whitelist to or too much whitelist to because if you just have all blue chips whitelisted in your channel first your discord chat's going to be dead because they're in 50 discords so you know the likelihood they're going to pick yours to chat in is very unlikely and number two they have so many whitelists to pick from then what's to say they're going to pick your mint so i, I always recommend to people to go after small mid-size cap and other small DAOs and things like that. But to go back to whitelist, whitelist is purely a marketing tool. It's all psychological at this point. So what's happening is marketers like me are coming in and saying, well, people still are complaining about whitelist. But at the same time, if I don't do whitelist and just do 100% public sale, people get panicky. They go, well, what is, what is that? Well, no whitelist, you know? So it's a, it's a double, it's a double-edged sword because you have people complaining about whitelist, but then you take it away and people get fearful of doing a, a public sale only. The other problem too is it's so difficult now. People are in so many discords. It's so difficult to build your discord membership organically now. It takes sometimes six to eight weeks to get you to 5,000 on average, okay? Unless you're a super hyped project that you know is one of these that people think this is how all projects go where they do one tweet and then their discord has 5,000 people the next day. That's that's 1% of projects. Most of these projects, it takes a, lot, a while to get membership. So what does a marketer like me do? Well, I'm going to hand out whitelist like candy because I want to get people into discord, okay? So it's not about protecting your body from all this stuff or the initial creation of whitelist. It's purely as bait to get people to come into Discord to assign them a whitelist role. So if you think about it, whitelist is pretty pointless outside of helping the projects fill their Discords. That's all it's, that's all it's for right now. There's really no other use for it. So what I've been doing with some other projects is doing things like open pre-sales, where basically we just hand out more whitelist than there are whitelist spots. 
and we do it over 10 days. So we give people 10 days to do their pre-sale and build the Discord organically over that 10-day period and build it up. And it may take four or five days to sell the whitelist, but you've now built a strong community of holders. So if your mint doesn't go quickly or it gets FUDded, the likelihood of those people sticking around is much better than, than it would have been if you just did a 30-minute whitelist mint. So there are different strategies I think that we can employ and that we can use. And I think I think at a minimum, people should have at least a 24-hour whitelist mint to give people from all time zones the ability to whitelist. But in my opinion, I mean, I'm like, just flood the whitelist market with tokens and crash all the tokens. I could care less. And I know some people would argue, well, some people, that's how they get in. They're, they're not able to get a whitelist or grind for a whitelist. So a whitelist token is the only way they can mint. And so I could I could understand that. But also most of the projects lately, if you bought a whitelist token and then you minted, you probably lost money after you paid for the whitelist token and the mint because the floor price went nowhere. So right now, if you buy a whitelist token, you're taking a very high risk of losing money. You know, So what's the point of the whitelist tokens right now? So I don't know, but that'll change in three weeks probably. It'll probably be back to the, what it was a month ago. I don't know. Love your thoughts on that overall. I mean, glad someone sees that <laughs> there, are, there are definitely flaws to the token meta, the whitelist meta, whatever. I'm curious, do you see a next meta for in terms of these projects marketing themselves? Is it going to be organic growth? Because to do that for all these different projects trying to create a Ponzi token or whatever, I mean, that's kind of hard to do. I'm, I'm curious what you see there. Yeah. So to me, liquidity pools and passive income is going to be dead soon. Most of these tokens are going to blow up. These Ponzi's are going to crash. Liquidity pools are not going to be sustainable by most of these projects because they're not going to be able to sell selling enough on the secondary to fund their liquidity pool. You know, that's, that's how it works. You got to fund the liquidity pool. Otherwise everything goes bust. So what I'm seeing more projects do, whether it's because they're in the United States and they're concerned about the long-term viability of their project and the SEC or it's because they just don't want to mess around with a liquidity pool, is the token equals one token and it provides utility of some kind to build something, to provide you access to something to within the ecosystem that you've created for your particular project. You can't cash it out for USDC. You can't rig the game and just end up uh, minting a second gen without staking and, and just buy as many tokens as you want or whatever, you know, like, because there's no liquidity pool. So I think we're going to see more, more projects trying to find ways to really get creative with their tokens, because I don't think staking is going away. It's become the bare minimum uh, expected. The market demands it. They, the, the market wants staking. Every time I, I join a project, I do a poll on their Discord, and I ask them what they're most excited about with the project. Are they excited about the fact that it's a play-to-earn game? It's PvP? It's tokenomics? It's staking? It's art? It's lore? And number one every time is staking, and number two every time is tokenomics. So staking is here to stay for the interim. But what I think is the future of Solana is if you ask yourself, like, the difference between why do people come to Solana, first of all? Well, they come because it's fast and it's cheap. There are things you can do with utilities on here that you can't do with ETH. And that's why you see so many utility-based projects and utility and such demand and innovation being are happening here is because ETH projects are largely art and culture-based. Maybe some passive income, right? Like CyberKongs or whatever. But you know, you don't see advanced staking, gamification of staking, uh, ranking staking, on-chain games, because ETH can't handle it. The, the speed and the cost would be too great. So if we just follow a logical train of thought here, what's going what's gonna to start getting attracted more and more to the Solana ecosystem? Well, it's going to be on-chain games. And we're, I'm already seeing it. I'm helping three projects with on-chain games right now. And they're good. And they're going to have games ready right after Mint or before Mint. The days of like three months ago where somebody says an on-chain game or two months ago where it's, or it's just DJ and Flipcoin or a cup game or Plinko. 
you know, and ha- half the time it doesn't even work. Those days are over. You have quality, what I call mini addictive, like Flappy Bird type games, you know, things like that, that are coming out on the blockchain that give you either token rewards or a lot of times will give you just soul. And I think that's the future of Solana because you can't do it many other on many other blockchains. And the, the off-chain games that people are building like Botborgs and Bobos and all these things that are going to take a year to build and Me Colony and all this stuff, that stuff's so niche. You know, First of all, you have to be, have a big budget and you're going to take a small market like Solana and then you're going to take an even smaller percentage of that that are hardcore gamers and try to actually make a project from that and make it successful. We're two years away from that. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. Maybe by the end of this year, we see it successfully happen where a project can make money doing it. I think most of these projects are going to lose money and they're going to bust hard. But what you can do very easily is make, make small, generic, mini addictive games that the average person can play on desktop and mobile. And I stress mobile. And a lot of these projects are coming out with it. you know. And, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to shill here, but Savage Sumos, who I'm working with, they have an on-chain game. It pushes the Solana blockchain to the extreme in terms of the number of transactions it's doing to basically battle your sumos against each other. It upgrades their skills and weapons in a tournament fashion and has all sorts of ranking mechanics and baked into it. And then you've got games like Big Shot Foxes, which is like, you know, simple things like rock, paper, scissors, but, you know, it's fought with, with fox hands and, you know, Chase the Chicken and some other games they've created. And you can basically start playing immediately and earning soul. These are the types of games that I think are going to blow up because all we need is the first Candy Crush to drop on the Solana blockchain. And as long as the Solana blockchain isn't pooping itself half the time, like lately, and you can actually play the thing, <laughs> the on-chain game meta is going to pop off. So that's my prediction that in three months from now that we're going to see a lot more people that are coming into Soul that are new to Solana and they're going to gravitate to, to those t- types of things. But that's that's just my opinion. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm definitely interested to see kind of kind of where this keeps going. But but I like your prediction. I guess I'll close it out with one last question for you. So do you like Wendy's? <laughs> oh, yeah. I haven't done a good D's nuts joke in too long. <laughs> so yeah, I need to do one of those <laughs> on Twitter. I, I figured if there was a time to ask you where you weren't going to expect it, <laughs> it would be this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, we don't have any other questions for you, Spoonagus. This has been an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed hearing your perspective, your predictions, your, you know, about your background experience. You seem like you're super well-versed and well-connected in this space. And it's been a pleasure having you on the pod. Well, I really appreciate you guys having me. Thank you so much. So that is all we have for you today. Thank you for listening. If you want to keep up with us on socials, we are Web3ConnectX over on Twitter. And of course, make sure to go follow Spoonicus on Twitter if you don't already. My personal Twitter account is AuroraXEnergy. And we also have NF Toast and No Land Beyond with two E's who were our co-hosts today. If there's anybody in the Web3 space that you want to hear from next, definitely let us know. Hit us up over in general chat on Discord and we will try our best to get them on the pod for you. See you guys next time.